From Happy Cat Studios in Indianapolis, Indiana, it's time for the Rick's Rambles podcast. I'm your host, Rick Garrett. And just a quick update, this will be the last Rick's Rambles podcast until January the 2nd, when we will return, taking a little holiday break. Let's get right into our fun facts of the week. Fun facts. And our fun facts this week are all about one of my favorite foods, Spam. Love it or hate it, Spam's been around for a long time, and it's going to be around for a long time. So here we go, some things you didn't know about Spam. Number one, Spam was born in 1937. Spam was created by Hormel in 1937 after an increased need for non-perishable protein food items. This pork product became a diet staple for troops fighting in World War II. The Europeans, minus the Brits, kind of hated it, but those stationed on the Pacific front became obsessed. Spam is still a hit in that geographical area even today. Number two, do you know what Spam stands for? Well, a lot of people don't. One reason Spam was sometimes called mystery meat was because people didn't know the meaning of the acronym. Some theories include a mashup of words spiced ham or shoulders of pork and ham. Others joked and thought Spam could stand for something posing as meat or specifically processed artificial meat. We will probably never find out the real answer because there are only a few past executives from Hormel that actually know and they are sworn to secrecy. Number three, nearly 100 million pounds of Spam were consumed by the Allied troops during World War II. Like we said previously, Spam was a hit among the troops, at least functionally because it was a protein-packed food that required no refrigeration. We're kind of weirded out by the whole no refrigeration thing, but desperate times call for desperate measures. Number four, well, I think most of my listeners know this. Monty Python made Spam a pop culture icon. From wartime grub to pop culture icon, Spam has certainly lived a full life. In 1970, the meat was so popular, it made a lengthy appearance in a scene from Monty Python's Flying Circus, which resulted in all characters breaking out into a song about Spam. This musical number was resurrected when the musical Spam-A-Lot debuted in 2004. Number five, her Hormel produces 44,000 cans of Spam every hour. Even though Spam is available in 41 countries, this production number is still wild. 44,000 cans an hour. That's 33,000 pounds of Spam every hour. Number six, the meat in Spam isn't as much of a mystery as people might think it is. Spam has always had a bad rap for being considered a mystery meat, but Hormel has been pretty honest about its ingredients all along. The classic Spam is made of pork shoulder, ham, salt, water, sugar, potato starch, and sodium nitrate. The type of meat in Spam is actually supposed to be much less sketchy than you'd find in your standard hot dog. Number seven, Hawaii alone consumes approximately seven million cans of Spam every year. Hawaii has the largest market for Spam worldwide. This is probably as a result of those World War II soldiers on the Pacific coast falling in love with the stuff. Spam is such a big deal in Hawaii that those 7 million cans aren't just found in grocery stores. They're also featured at regional McDonald's locations and even on the menus at high-end restaurants. I would go to a high-end restaurant and order a Spam dish. Number eight, there's a restaurant in the Philippines that serves only Spam. The Philippines can almost give Hawaii a run for their money in the Spam department. The country is home to a notable restaurant called called Spam Jam, which serves a whole menu full of dishes featuring the meat. Popular items include Spam spaghetti, Spam eggs, and even a Spam gift set that Filipinos actually consider a very thoughtful wedding 
gift. Number nine, there's an official Spam Museum in Minnesota. It's on my bucket list to visit. The official Spam Museum is located in Austin, Minnesota. Like any museum, there are specialists who lead tours. At the Spam Museum, these people are called Spambassadors, and they can recite the entire Hormel history by memory. The menu also features an exhibit where you can pack and seal a can of Spam yourself and rooms for live cooking demonstrations. And number 10, I had no idea about this, and I love this. Hormel created a traveling musical troupe dedicated to Spam. If there's one thing you should know about Hormel, it's that they take their advertising very seriously. After World War II, the company launched a huge campaign for Spam in hopes of keeping the meat alive post-war. Hormel put together a troupe of female performers called the Hormel Girls who traveled the country promoting the product. At its peak, this group featured over 60 women and a full orchestra and their own radio show as well. There you have it, 10 fun facts about Spam. If there's any good news story that I've done this year I would like you to pay special attention to, it is this one. In this holiday season, this one is so vitally important, and it's simply called I'm Fine. A poll of 2,000 adults found that two-thirds will tell friends and family they're fine over the holiday season, even when they're not. Half the respondents believe others don't want to hear about their troubles because it dampens the holiday mood, so they keep the conversation lighthearted. But the study, commissioned by British food company Walker's, to shine a light on the benefits of opening up and talking more, found that 87% confessed to saying, I'm fine, on autopilot without even thinking about how they actually feel. Walkers and Comic Relief teamed up with TV and radio presenter and mental well-being expert Roman Kemp to inspire people to open up and talk more, challenging them to give up the F word, that's fine, to support their mental well-being. As someone who has been open about their own battle with mental health and seen firsthand the devastating consequences of people bottling up their emotions and feelings, this is a campaign very close to my heart, said Kemp. So I'm hoping that through this campaign we can help open up the conversations surrounding mental well-being and get people having open and honest conversations about how they are really feeling. Let's stop saying we're fine because we think it's polite or because we think it's what the other person wants to hear. Kemp believes that most of the time, if a friend or family member is asking, they genuinely do care and want to know how you are. Three of the top reasons why people use the autopilot I'm fine response instead of telling the truth are not wanting to bring other people down, not knowing how people are going to deal with your emotions, and being afraid of feeling uncomfortable. Philip Pennington from Walkers, which has donated $2 million to Comic Relief, for Mental Wellbeing Project said the message of our Christmas campaign that it can actually help to open up and talk about your feelings is so important and we hope to be able to encourage people to talk a little bit more. The survey carried out by one poll also found that people don't want to go into detail about how they're feeling. However, while one quarter of those surveyed don't believe people genuinely want to know how they're doing, half the respondents said they do genuinely want to tell people how they're doing. Samir Patel, CEO of Comic Relief, suggested icebreaker. Humor can be a great way to help start conversations that can sometimes be difficult. So here are 12 phrases that we can use instead of saying, I'm fine. Up first, I can't complain. I've tried, but no one listens. How about not bad? Could be better though. I have a pulse. So that's good. How do you think I'm doing? I don't feel great, but my hair looks amazing. I don't have many days like that. I'm doing well. Could be the antidepressant speaking. Things are fine as long as you're around. Fair to partly cloudy. You go first and then we can compare. Not quite there yet. Do you want the short 
or the detailed version. And finally, I'm under renovation. This is a great article, and I am all too often guilty of saying I'm fine when I really, really not. If you're guilty of that too, go back and play those phrases. Pick out one that is meaningful to you and give it a try. Whether this is the first time listening to the Rick's Rambles podcast or you've been with me for my entire almost two-year journey, I appreciate the fact that you're taking a few minutes out of your day to spend some time with me. Thank you so, so much. If you'd like to support the podcast, there's a few ways you can do that. The simplest one is absolutely free, and that's just share it on your social media and let folks know what you're listening. You can also buy me a cup of coffee, and I'll put a link to that place in the show notes where you can do that. I've also partnered with a company called Follow that supports wildlife conservation and positive content on the internet. And you can buy your very own wildlife tracking bracelet and support the Rick's Rambles podcast and wildlife conservation. And I also will put that link in the show notes. Once again, I so appreciate you taking some time out of your day to spend with me. One of my favorite memories from the late 60s and early 70s is sitting down and reading the comic strips in the newspaper. Do you remember doing that? And on Sundays, they came in color. That was a big deal. Well, I found a list of eight of the best comic strips of that era. So let's take a quick look at them in today's nostalgia segment. Number one, Peanuts by Charles Schultz. The Peanuts has gone down in history for being one of the greatest and longest stories ever created. Charles M. Schultz had much success during his long career. The Peanuts, of course, followed the story of its main character, Charlie Brown, but there was also Lucy, Pigpen, and Snoopy, and others. In total, Schultz published around 17,000 comic strips. That's amazing. It was published in 75 countries and 21 different languages. Number two is one that I recall but really was not into that much, Doonesbury by Gary Trudeau. Doonesbury was first published in 1970. This comic strip captures the adventures and lives of a wide variety of characters. Over the many years of this comic strip's publication, the strip went from a handful of characters to generations of families. The lead character, Mike Doonesbury, has progressed from a college student to an older gentleman over the last few decades. Doonesbury tends to cover more hot topics such as politics. In 1970, Doonesbury won a Pulitzer Prize for editorial cartooning. Number three, Garfield by Jim Davis. This is an obvious favorite from any decade, not just the 70s. Garfield started publishing nationwide in 1978. Garfield takes place in Jim Davis's hometown of Muncie, Indiana. Davis got inspiration from his personal life when making Garfield. Garfield has even the world record for the most syndicated comic strip ever. Number four, Hagar the Horrible. I love this. This comic strip first appeared in 1973 and quickly became a huge success. Hagar the Horrible was originally created by Dick Brown, but after his death in 1989, his son, Chris Brown, took over the beloved comic strip. The comic strip comments on everyday life through a very loose interpretation of Viking Age Scandinavian life. Hagar the Horrible is published in 19,000 newspapers in 56 countries and is translated into 12 other countries languages. Number five, BC by Johnny Hart. BC has been around for a long time. Well, not since BC, but definitely before the 1960s. This comic strip is set in prehistoric time and features an assortment of quirky characters. BC follows a gag format featuring mostly unrelated jokes, shameless puns, and slapstick comedy. Up next, Blondie by Chick Young. Blondie became one of the most iconic comic strips very quickly. It even surpassed the longtime favorite Dagwood, which was also created by Chick Young. Blondie tells a woman of a blonde-haired woman and her sandwich-loving husband. 
This simple storyline has led to a long-running film series and a popular radio program both titled Blondie. Blondie has appeared in over 2,000 newspapers in 47 countries and has been translated into 35 different languages. Number seven, Nancy by Ernie Bushmiller. I had kind of forgotten about Nancy. Nancy was originally called the Fritzy Ritz, but over several years, the focus of the comic strip changed from Fritzy to her niece, Nancy. This is one of the more popular comic strips of all time, so we had to add it to our list. It's so iconic, in fact, that Nancy was the subject of one of Andy Warhol's famous paintings. And this last one, it's obviously very popular, but I have absolutely no recollection of this comic strip. We must not have got it in our local newspaper. The Born Loser by Art Sansom. The Born Loser was created by Art Sansom in 1965 with his son Chip, who started assisting in 1989. They won the 1987 National Cartoonist Society Humor Comic Strip Award and the 1990 Newspaper Comic Strip Award. Well, I'd love to know from you, what were some of your favorite comic strips you used to read or maybe still read? And it's time for our special days for this week. Today, Monday the 12th, with Gingerbread House Day. It's Green Monday, and it's National Ambrosia Day. Tuesday the 13th is National Violin Day, National Day of the Horse, and it's National Cocoa Day. Wednesday the 14th, National Bouillabaisse Day, and it's Roast Chestnuts Day. Thursday the 15th is Bill of Rights Day, National Cat Herder Day, National Tea Day. Friday the 16th is Boston Tea Party Day, National Chocolate Covered Anything Day. I am definitely going to celebrate that. It's National Ugly Christmas Sweater Day. Saturday the 17th. National Maple Syrup Day, it's Wright Brothers Day, and it is my beautiful wife's birthday. And we'll wrap the week up on Sunday the 18th with National Bake Cookies Day, National Ham Salad Day, and National Twin Day. And that's going to wrap it up for this week and this year on the Rick's Rambles podcast. Thank you so much for following along with me on the journey. Please take a moment, share it on your social media, let folks know what you're listening to. And until Monday, January the 2nd, be kind to as many people as you can, as often as you can. We'll start right now and we'll make the world a better place.